Good morning. It's good to see each one this morning. If I happen to look a little bit sluggish this morning, it's because Brenda worked me too hard yesterday. She said, I need for you to come over to the office and move some files. Well, I didn't know moving files meant vacuuming carpet, running telephone wires, and things like that. But then we had to actually move the files from one location to another. But you know, that's the way it goes. Brenda and I, if nothing changes, we'll be married 30 years this coming summer. So I've come to expect that, and when we first got married, we agreed to do things like that, to help one another. And in the beginning, when God created man and woman, he created woman as a helpmeet. So we understand from that very humble beginning that God created man and woman to help each other. And I learned that very quickly years ago. But it's good to help people, no matter whether you're married to them or not. It's good to help. But when you're in a relationship, things are a little bit different. And I also knew that I really couldn't get out of what we did yesterday if I wanted to have peace at home. <laughs> so, but, uh, but as thinking about marriage and relationships, we're going to look at the fact of being married to Christ. Now, we know what being married means for most of us. Uh, if a person has never been in a marriage, there are certainly some things they're not aware of. But being married, there are certain things that you become aware of that are very important. Actually, you become aware of a lot of things that are very important. In a relationship, in order to make that relationship work, your responsibilities in that relationship. So it's important to understand where one is to be in a relationship, whether it's marriage or a friendship relationship. We understand where we need to be in those relationships. But when we know, but we know that when God created man and woman, He did so for a couple of reasons. One was it would the family would eventually be the foundation of all society. And it is a foundation built upon God's truth, God's word. So being in a relationship requires many things. And such as a marriage relationship, many things are voluntary because you want to do those things. And when we look at being married to Christ, we can apply, when we look at the marriage between a man and a woman, we can relate certain things, oftentimes in wedding vows. You will hear such words as honor and cherish and obey. And Unfortunately, there are some people nowadays who do not want that word obey in their marriage vows because they have the wrong impression of that word. But we look at those words, we hear those words when they're given at a wedding, and we understand what they mean to the relationship. We know that relationships are not one-sided. They can't be in order for them to exist properly. We understand that it must be done in harmony. The church, through Scripture, has been identified and called the Bride of Christ for a very good reason, because it is the Bride of Christ. And there is a special relationship between the church and Christ that exists only in God's eyes for all mankind. We know there are people outside the church. We understand that. But God's 
truth is focused on the church. And when we become members of that church, we are basically married to Christ. It's important for us to understand that being in that marriage, there are certain responsibilities. But there's also certain things that we want to do because we want to do them, because of our love, our care. And today as we look at these, let's try to look and see how much they apply to us. Uh, but the church is known as the bride of Christ. And oftentimes we don't realize that when we become Christians, we are actually entering into a relationship that is different than any relationship that we might have in our lives. Actually, it is the most important relationship because it deals with eternal salvation. Yes, our marriage relationship is very important, but it's a different type of relationship. But when we look at our eternal salvation, our souls will exist for eternity, one place or another. But we want our eternity to be with God the Father and with Christ and the Holy Spirit and the host that's in heaven and our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the kind of relationship we want. So how can we take something that is in a secular way for all society to see and be involved? We understand how... Uh, family, marriage, and all that uh, affects the secular world. But those things, those type of vows that people make, using those words such as honor and cherish and obey and so on and so forth, how can we apply them to our relationship with Christ? Because oftentimes people have a backwards view of a relationship with God. In other words, God is there to serve them. We know that in a marriage that it should not be the case that our spouse is there to serve us as we would think of a master-slave situation. It's a relationship that works together based on love, based on care. So when we look at our relationship with Christ, how do we apply these things? When you became a Christian, did you look at it that way? Did you look at it? You were having a, you had come into a relationship that would be very similar to a marriage relationship between a man and a woman? Probably not. Many of us were young when we first obeyed the gospel, and that's probably one of those things we never really thought of. Of course, there are those who obey the gospel when they're up in their adult age and may have had an opportunity to grow and mature in life and maybe a little more readily be able to apply that kind of reasoning to being a Christian, being married to Christ. If you will, turn over to 2 Corinthians. Look at a couple of verses here. 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. The Apostle Paul, as he writes to the church at Corinth, Speaking of Paul's relationship with the church and his brethren, who the Apostle Paul took very seriously, took very dearly. There were many times that he shed many tears over the situation of the church and did a lot of work. And now he is letting the uh, Corinthians understand, try to understand a little better where he's coming from. 
uh, in verse 2 he says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to be one, uh, to espouse you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And see, he's using that marriage relationship here. In other words, presenting the church, presenting these brethren to Christ, that relationship. And he wants them to understand that it's not just an ordinary relationship. It's not just something that is, is ordinary in your daily life. This is something that's very special. And we need to look at it that way. Of course, once again, Paul compares the church to a bride to Christ. And oftentimes, maybe we need to look that, at that a little more uh, seriously. One, one of the first things we hear, or one of the vows that we hear, I'm not sure what kind of, if you're married, I'm not sure what kind of vows you had. Uh, and like I say, oftentimes you don't hear these quite as much because people uh, like to write their own vows, which is fine. We don't find any vows for marriage in the scriptures. So whatever is said, you know, as long as it's not wrong, is <laughs> okay. But one of the things we hear oftentimes is honor. Now we hear that word a lot in a lot of ways, honor. You can be honored, you can give honor, and that's important. Uh, we have all kinds of ceremonies a lot of times to honor people for the accomplishments they made. But when it comes to honoring one's spouse, uh, that goes deeper sometimes than just honoring someone out in the world. We want to honor someone. And, and I guess a basic definition of the word honor is to, uh, you know, uh, to revere someone. It's esteem of a higher level than just you know normal esteem, normal respect. It goes a little deeper than that. And that's the way that a relationship should be. One another should be honoring the other. As, as Paul said, uh, talking about the church here, most definitely needs to understand that this relationship is very important. Because these brethren were like, we are or we're like they were in, in being humans and we forget things. We don't key in on things sometimes. But the fact is he wanted them to understand it was a different relationship, one of higher honor, higher esteem. And that, that's what we, we have when we have our relationship with Christ. We're to honor Christ. Why? Because of what he has done for us. Look at the things that he has done for us. And the greatest thing he has done for us is give us an opportunity to spend eternity in heaven. We can read through the scriptures and we find descriptions of heaven. We know from studying God's word that heaven is a place of eternity. It will never end. It is a place of love. It's a place free of pain, free of sin, and so on and so forth. A wonderful place. We really can't grasp how great heaven's going to be because I think if we did we'd all be lining up to get in now. When we look at our world today and look at the, the things that are going on, if we could just get that taste of heaven just for five seconds, it might change us. I, I wonder how, oftentimes wonder how Lazarus felt being over in paradise and then the Lord calling him back to this world. He knew certainly that he had it better where he was. But we honor Christ because of what he has done for us. John writes for us, 
or records for us what Jesus said, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. So it's, it's a command, but it shouldn't be a command that really we, we need. We should be willing to honor God and honor Christ because of the love we have and for what they have done for us and what they continue to do for us. I, I don't know how it would be having to go through this life and not have any hope of anything better. I just don't, and I'm glad we don't have to worry about that. But when we look at honor, we look at the fact that, as Jesus says here, we're to honor the Son, honor Him, and God the Father. In Romans, the 13th chapter, verse 7, Paul, uh, as we see in the letter to the Romans, what Paul uh, had to say about honoring people, and I'm not going to read the whole verse, but in verse 7, he says, Render therefore to all their dues, honor to whom honor. And a lot of times we'll put honor to whom honor is due. We know that's what it means, even though that due is out there at the end of the verse. But we do that. Now, why wouldn't it be the same with our relationship with Christ? Why wouldn't we honor Christ? Is it all about us? Many people think that it is because they kind of use God as a, a, a last resort to call up and pray or do whatever. God, they want God to do for them, but they don't want to do for God. They just want to be able to put God on speed dial, and any time they need Him, they can hit speed dial, but after that, they just go about their own business. Well, that's not the relationship that the Bible says we should have with God or with Christ. We're to have one where there truly is honor, The Hebrews writer says that, talking about God and what he did for Christ, he says, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels. Thou crownedest him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. That is hard to comprehend sometimes. The love that God had for Christ and mankind, in order for God to do that, to set Christ, to make him come, to have him come to this earth, and take on the form of a human body to live as a human, to suffer physically, to suffer emotionally for us. If we go back and we really study what happened on the way to the cross, to Christ physically, uh, it, would, it might bring tears to our eyes, and it should, because of what he suffered the fact that he was not only mistreated and it affected him emotionally, but he was physically mistreated. And yet he did it for us. And we see here the Hebrews writer says that God made him a little lower than the angels to do that. Not that his importance was lower than the angels. Not that his deity, any of that. It was the fact that he took on a human form to come to this earth and by doing that, God gave him, crowned him with glory and honor for what he was doing. So honor is one of those things that we might want to consider when we consider our relationship with Christ. Do we really honor Christ? Do we really honor him with our service, with our dedication? Do we study his word? Do we try to teach others? How consistent are we to the services of the church? 
Because if we don't take those things seriously, it's like, well, it's not that important. It's not that important that Christ died on the cross. It's not important that He suffered as He did. So honor is something we might want to consider looking at in our lives. It's a great thing to honor Christ, but honor Christ properly. Another word we might hear in the vows is the word cherish. We know, we've heard this word used several times, cherish. It's probably in some songs. It seems like I remember some songs years ago that had the word cherish. And we understand what that brings up in our minds when we talk about cherishing something. Talking about great love for someone or something. You might have some kind of thing that you cherish that you might have received as a childhood and in, in, in your childhood and that thing means so much to you, you just cherish it. You don't want anything to happen to it. You would protect it. Might be the same way when you get a little puppy, a little kitten. You want to just hold them in your arms and cherish them and not let anything happen to them and then they grow up. <laughs> but we understand about this word cherish. We understand the emotions involved with it. Do we cherish the church, our brothers and sisters, as we should? Do we cherish Christ as we should? Let's turn over to Ephesians, the fifth chapter. In this uh, section of the Ephesian letter, Paul talks about the relationships of the husband and wife relationship. He talks about the relationship with Christ. And what's expected of us, he's also talking about what is expected of the husband and the wife in a marriage relationship. In ver- beginning in verse 21, it says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. Then he goes on to say, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. In other words, ladies, the kind of love that you would give Christ and give God, give that same love to your husband. And we know it's vice versa because Paul will talk about that. He says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So the responsibility is on us to love our spouses as Christ loved the church and gave his life for it. We know the Bible talks about different types of love. But we are to be loving people. John writes a lot about that. You go to to 1 John. talks a lot about love. We are to love. The husbands are to love their wives. So many times... Unfortunately, men have only seen this one way. In that way being, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands. They forget about the other part. Husbands, love your wives. So it's important to understand that Paul is talking about love in a relationship. Cherish. Hold on to that thing. What, whether it's a person or a thing, you hold on to it because you cherish it. You love it. As he continues in verse 26, he talks about the church. 
And as though we are looking at, even though we're looking at our individual lives, we also look at our lives together as the church. Because Paul talks about it here. He says, why, why are these things necessary? Why is it important? And as he started out there in, in verse 20, talking about brothers and sisters submit, submitting to one another, he gets down to verse 26. He says that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that uh, it should be holy and without blemish. Now that can't be accomplished if we're not loving properly. If we're not loving Christ properly, if we're not loving the church properly and showing it by our lives, it's not going to be the way Christ wants it to be. It's not going to be without spot. How many congregations today have trouble and fight with one another and so on and so forth? That's not what Christ wants. That's not what God wants. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to be aware of one another. Submit ourselves to one another. In Matthew, the 22nd chapter, verse 37, and as the, the Jews, the Pharisees, and all were all the time trying to trap Jesus, one of the lawyers stood up and was asking him what the greatest commandment was. Well, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. Now, was that just for then, or is it for now? It's for now, and forevermore. We're to love God. And really, we need to understand that it shouldn't be something that we have to be told to do. When we look at what we have as Christians, we should be very thankful to God. And we should show our gratitude through love for Him. We're to cherish God. We're to cherish the church. We're to cherish one another so that we can be the kind of people that God wants us to be. Another word that you'll hear sometimes in the wedding vows is obey. Now, I was getting ready to perform a wedding at one time, and I was asked, uh, do we have to have that word obey in the vows? <laughs> I mean, your vows, you, you know, <laughs> you write your own vows. You, I don't think anybody's going to force you to put it there. But think about that question. I had the wrong idea of what obey is. Oftentimes, that comes from teaching of other people and so on and so forth, but Obey is very important because God tells us to obey. As Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Well, how can you do that without obeying? We look at what Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty one, where he's talking about those who will be in heaven and those who won't. Oftentimes when you mention something of, of this sort, people say, well, you're trying to be judgmental, but these, these are the words from the mouth of Christ. It's not being judgmental. But obey. You know, God has never had us obey. He just never has com uh, had us uh, or commanded us to do something that wasn't for our benefit. Everything God has asked us to do, everything that God has commanded us to do, is for our own benefit. So we should not have 
trouble with the word obey when it comes to following God. But in Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21, he says, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's a, a statement that many people would not agree with because they feel everybody is going to be in heaven. But Jesus says not everyone that says Lord, Lord will be there. Why? Why does he make such a statement? Because they will not do the will of God. As he says here, but he that doeth the will of my Father. See, that's the exception. That's the exception to the rule or to the belief that people have. Jesus says you have to obey the Word. You have to obey God's Word, not just something out there that sounds good, but obey God's Word. He goes on to say, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? Do we have people like that today who say, Well, what about these people over here? What about those people over here? What about that good person? They're all time doing this or they're all time doing that, and, which is good. I'm glad people do good. But what does Jesus say? He says that many people will be like that in those days, saying, we did, didn't we do this and we, didn't we do that in your name? There are going to be plenty of those people. What, but what's he going to say? He's going to say, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So what is working iniquity? Disobedience. They're working iniquity because they're not obeying God. They're not doing God's will. So what must we do to obey? First of all, we need to know what the will is. And then we have to make that decision, as we talked about in class this morning, individual responsibility. We have to make that decision whether we're going to follow God or not. And as Christians, we need to realize that we need to follow God in all that we've been commanded, not just in what we want to choose, not just in what we like or anything like that. It has to be obeying God. It's not a smorgasbord of what you want in life to please God. We're to be in submission. But also look down at verse 24. He says, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built, the house, built his house upon the rock. Now, we all know this. The kids learn this. Wise man built his house upon the rock. He's contrasting those with the right attitude and those with the incorrect attitude. And he, he goes on to say, And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Our rock is Christ. When our faith is founded upon Christ, it should never fall, fail, or falter. Then he goes on to say, Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So, do we need to obey God? Absolutely. Should we have a willing heart to obey God? Absolutely. Many people say they believe in God, but they don't do anything in their lives to show it. 
God says we have to obey in order to have eternal life. Obey is important if we're going to please God. Oftentimes the the blessings that the children of Israel would receive was based upon them following God. And we know that there were times that they did not follow God. And what happened? They suffered for it. They went into captivity three different times. They did not win the battles that they should have won because of their disobedience. So obedience is very important. There are some other ones that we'll hear. I don't have time to go into all of them, but such as forsaking all others. We hear that in wedding vows. Do you for, choose to forsake everybody else and just put everything on this person here? Yes. We need to make sure that we're forsaking everything else, everyone else when it comes to Christ. We cannot let other things come in between us and God. We cannot let family members come in between us and God. If your whole family, all your family, turned out to be atheists, would you still follow God? Your friends, would you still follow God? We're told not to forsake the assembling. How many people forsake the assembling? As the Hebrews writer tells us in Hebrews 10.25, Now, we're not talking about when people can't be here, but when they choose not to. Jesus talked about taking up your cross daily and following him, Luke 9, 23. Jesus said that you couldn't be his, disciples if you're, uh, his disciple if you're not willing to do that. So we must forsake all others, even ourselves, and that's what he means. Excuse me. But are you forsaking Christ? Well, Christ is my Lord and Savior. I follow Christ. Well, is, it ded- is the dedication there in your life to prove that? How about for richer or for poorer? You know, people have not followed Christ because they feel they can't be where they want to be in life. The corporate ladder. Well, I can't follow Christ. Everybody would laugh at me. And besides, I want to be at this position or I want to be at that position. I want to have this much money. I want to have that much money. And I can't do that following Christ. I actually had a a manager one time that was supposed to be a religious person, but he told me one time that when it comes to business, he separates it. In other words, he could not succeed in business if he was a Christian in business. That's straight from the horse's mouth right there, and I'm sure he's not the only person that feels that way. But it doesn't matter if we have one dime to our name. Is that going to affect our dedication to God? No matter how hard life gets, are we still going to serve God? Are we going to blame God for our situations? Are we going to be mad at God because we don't have such and such? It happens. So these are just a few of the things we might hear in, a, uh, the, in wedding vows that we can take and apply to our relationship with God. The question is, what kind of relationship do you have with God today? Do you really consider yourself married to Christ? 
A lot of people do, but yet they are not. In order to be married to Christ, that means you do have to forsake all. It does mean you have to obey God's will. It does mean you need to cherish Christ and cherish that which is righteous and holy and good. And you show honor to God by obeying and by doing all of these things. Honor to Christ for what He has done. If you have not shown that in your life as a Christian, it's time for some thinking, to make some changes so that you will not miss out on heaven, so that you will be able to spend eternity where God intended us to spend eternity. Heaven is a prepared place for all of those who are preparing now to get there. So as a child of God, if you are not showing these things in your life as you should, you need to make that correction today. But it may be the fact that you've never obeyed the gospel. None of these will matter until you obey God and become a child of God. That's easily done. It's not a complicated process. It just takes an honest and true heart and a desire to do that which is right. Hearing the Word of God, believing Jesus Christ to be the Son of God, willing to repent, change your ways, change your life, live for God confessing Christ publicly and being baptized for the remission of your sins. That's what it takes. And then you will honor God and cherish God and Christ and the Godhead in your life because you want to do it, not because you're being forced. If you need to respond this morning, pray that you'll come as we stand and sing.